You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. You may be seated. (laughs) No, I think I'll have them stand to pray. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm joking. (laughs) You can want us to stand, but we ain't standing again. No. So today we continue our sermon series, Truth and Lies. It's a sermon series where we are looking at the truth of something and versus the lie that we hear. I have a question for you. Do you ever get caught in the trap that I do? Always looking for something new instead of being thankful for what I have? And understanding that without the pure loving grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, I would not be standing here this morning? Maybe you even go as far to say the following question to yourself. What do I have to be thankful for? This is a wonderful time of year when we are supposed to stop and reflect on being thankful for all that God has done for us. Unfortunately, in our world of consumerism and convenience, our day of Thanksgiving, as marked in America calendars, has turned into a way of beating people up at Walmart for cheap televisions. Rather than being thankful to God, we see our society using the day for, grateful, for greater greed. I may upset a few by what I'm about to say, but for once, I am glad when I see a business that is closing for Thanksgiving Day and staying closed and not opening until Friday morning. It's, no, it's so easy to forget that all God has given us. It's so easy to take for granted all that we have been given from God. God wanted us to live lives of thankfulness. God has called us to have an attitude of gratitude for all of life. Notice that the Apostle Paul said something in Colossians 2, 6 through 7 that Landon read for us. I'm going to throw it up on the screen here and I want you to see it in writing. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So here's what the Apostle Paul is laying down to every believer. As you know him, as you fall in love with him, as you walk with him, Jesus Christ this is, As you are rooted in him, in a powerful way, you need to do something about that established faith. And what is that something that you are to do? It's right there on the screen for you. You are to be abounding in thanksgiving. It's a powerful truth. Abounding here means to overflow with thanksgiving. This is not a forced thanksgiving. This is not, oh yeah, Thursday is coming and now we got to be thankful but just a part of your everyday life. The key is going above and beyond in our thanksgiving to our Lord's work in our lives. Sometimes thanksgiving can only focus on physical blessings we have. This is a natural tendency of ours because we are physical people and we thank God for what what we see in our lives. So we are grateful for our wealth, thankful for our jobs, And thankful for our families. But there's much more that God wants us to give thanks for. Again, if you would turn with me to Psalm 138, that's where we're going to rest today. Where we have a psalm all about the giving of thanks. And what we should be thankful for. And as you turn there, let me give you some background to what's going on here. Psalm 138 is known as a declarative praise psalm. It emerges out of a deep appreciation for the Lord's greatness and goodness. In the structure of this psalm, we see that it was used as a praise during a thank offering of some type and probably came after a time of huge distress. That's what led me to this passage. All of this led me to this psalm as I think it lines up perfectly with what we've been experiencing in life in America And so the psalmist points to some key principles of praise, or 
priorities of praise that need not leave our minds throughout whatever we face. So here's the lie. The lie that the world tells us is this. You have to have everything in order in order to be thankful. That's the lie. In other words, if your world is falling apart, you can't be thankful. If you have a relationship that's on the, on the rocks, you can't be thankful. If you have something going on in your heart and life, you can't be thankful. The truth of the word of God, and we're going to see in Psalm 138, is, is that we have something to be thankful even if our world is falling apart. And it's key. It's key. And here's, so here's the first priority of praise, number one. Here it is, and it, you can fill out your sermon outline. It's the white paper in the bulletin here. Here's the first one. Priority of praise, give thanks unconditionally. Give thanks unconditionally. Here's what it says in Psalm 138, verse 1. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. The psalmist here begins by simply telling the Lord that he is giving thanks to the Lord with all his heart. Think about that. When was the last time we did that? Think about the last time we poured out our thanks to the Lord with our whole being. We did not hold back, but passionately proclaimed our thanks to the Lord without reservation or regard. This is the picture of verse 1. In every audience, in every audience, I want to give thanks to the Lord. I give thanks to the Lord. I sing praises to the Lord in the presence of the heavenly assembly before the whole spiritual court. It is this thankfulness, this thankfulness as to why we sing. Did you see the psalmist say it? Look at the screen. I will sing your praises before the gods, the heavenly assembly of spiritual beings. Thankfulness is why we sing. Singing it not an act of worship as if we have an obligatory um, act on Sundays. Here's what I want you to know, and this is, you know, I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek. God wouldn't be upset if we didn't sing four songs and have a sermon on a Sunday morning. That may be a shock to some of you. But it's true. See, what God cares about is the heart of how we're worshiping. If we're doing it to go through the motions and, you know, let's just get these three songs done with and these four songs done with and then let's get to the sermon and then let's get home and, and let's, just, let's just do this. Let's just keep moving. Let's, let's keep things flying. Mm, we're not exactly singing his praise. Here's why. Because singing is overflowing of thanksgiving. How thankful is thanksgiving if you're complaining about Uncle Larry the whole time? How thankful is thanksgiving if you're complaining about the crazy aunt that you have the whole time? It's not very thankful, right? Because you're focused on this person who's at the table that just bothers you and just can't, you can't focus on anything else because you can't, it's impossible almost to be thankful because you're so focused on what's wrong. Now take that into your world and if you're so focused on what's wrong with our world and not focused on what's good with your Lord, you got an issue in your thanksgiving. It's almost impossible to be thankful. You see, the words we sing are plucking our hearts and we praise God with our whole being. 
This is what the psalmist says he is doing. He gives thanks with his whole heart and sings the praises of the Lord before all audiences. Now, what's he praising God for? Well, that's the priority of praise number two. Give thanks for the Lord's unfaltering love and dependability. Look at verse two with me. Here's what the psalmist says. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. The psalmist says he bows down towards the Lord's temple. Now, here's what we need to do. We need to do a little Old Testament history. In 1 Kings 8, that bowing towards the temple is a call of repentance. You can see that this idea is in the rest of verse 2. The psalmist is thanking the Lord for his steadfast love and his faithfulness. He's thankful that the Lord's salvation and the Lord's forgiveness. He's thankful that the Lord restores us to who we should be in him. This is the steadfast love and faithfulness of the Lord. God is faithful. He doesn't just leave us where we are, but he wants us to become better. He wants us to follow him more. God is faithful to us through our difficulties and trials of life. God is faithful to us even during our sinfulness. You realize that, right? Even when you're back here doing whatever you're doing, and not really caring about him, he's still out there caring about you. You know, Wednesday night we talked about this a little bit. You know, sometimes people will say, well, God feels like he's a distance from me. And, and, and the old saying when I was back, and my pastor used to say this from the pulpit all the time when I was a kid. He used to say, if God feels like he's thousands of miles away from you, do not be mistaken which one of you moved. It wasn't him. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the same in, in spite of all of what we're doing. He is the same, whether we're, whether we're living a life on fire for him. And it is, this is what's hard to understand because we want, we want that grandfatherly type of God. At least, you know, we, we want to know, you know, uh, if I'm breaking your heart, I want you to, you know, let me know that. And, and God does, but... And he does discipline us. But, but the point here is, is that he's still faithful even in the discipline. Now, I know my dad will probably watch this with my mom later on today. They're at their own church this morning. But, you know, there's probably times when dad disciplined me. Probably. <laughs> times that dad disciplined me out of anger and not out of love. I know there's times that I've disciplined my son out of anger and not out of love. But you know what, God? God always does it out of love. He's always faithful. Now, I want you to take some time, and, and I did some math for us this morning, but, but we'll, we'll get there in just a second. I want you to reflect on just 2021, all right? So let's say there's 365 days. I'm not sure if this is a leap year or not, but anyway, there's 365 days in this year. How has God been faithful to you this year during your difficulties, your pains, and trials of life? Don't answer that out loud. Just, just, just think. How has God shown steadfast love even during your failures and your sinfulness? How often has God forgiven you this year? Have you ever thought about that? Let's say you were really righteous. This is on the slide. You, let's say you were really righteous and only sinned twice every day of this year, including the rest of the year. So we're going to go to December 31st. You've only sinned two times a day. You know how many times that means that you've been forgiven this year? Well, if my math is correct, and you can correct me later, it's 730 times. Just two times you've sinned. Now, I wasn't willing to go there for myself. I'd give you guys the benefit of the doubt. But I said, I, I probably <laughs> sin more than five times a day, every day of this year. So therefore, I was forgiven we're not putting you on this spot. I'm putting me myself on the spot. 1,825 times this year. 
It puts it into perspective, doesn't it? I mean, 730 isn't no cheap, isn't cheap. And I'm not here to burst your bubble, but I believe you probably sin more than two times a day. And he was faithful. And he forgives, and he forgives, and he forgives. But let's look at verse 3 together. Here's what verse 3 says. One the day I called you, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. I want you to think about the times you've called on the Lord over this past year. And how he's answered. Now I want to be real with you. There were probably times he gave you an answer that you didn't like. Right? I mean, we all have it all lined up. It's this, this, is, this is the way life should go. And so I'm going to kind of pray to God and, and ask God to kind of bless my plans. And God says, I don't, I don't do that. I give you my plans and bless those. Think about when you were in the pit of life. Or maybe you were on the mountaintop of glory. How the Lord has answered you. This is what the psalmist is doing for these people who have just come out of a time of depression, a time of anxiety, a time of frustration, a time of, you know, shutdowns, a time of uncertainty, a time of not sure which way they're going to turn. And the psalmist is saying, would you please look back? Would you please look back at your life and say, how many times has God shown up, whether you're on the mountaintop of glory or whether you're in the pit of your life? How many times has he reached down like he did for Peter in the water and pulled you up when you got your eyes off of everything else or got your eyes off of him and put your eyes on the waves? How many times has he done that? And have you given him praise lately for it? I want you to notice something. This centers the prayer of the psalmist in verse 2. He gives thanks for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. The psalmist praises the Lord for exalting his own name and his own word above all things. I want you to look at with me at Exodus chapter 34 tells us what his name is all about. Here's what it says. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God of merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Exodus 34 verses 5 through 7. You see, the exaltation of God's name and word is a wonderful grace to each of us. His name reveals his mercy and his graciousness. You just read that. His patience and his overflow of steadfast love and faithfulness. His name shows his love and his forgiveness as well as his justice. You know what's been really cool about Wednesday night Bible study is watching the light bulb come on. For so many. So many have looked at the Old Testament, and, and, and it's their testimony, it's not mine, have looked at the Old Testament and seen a God who is angry, who, a God who is, who is fed up, a God who is, who is peeved, a God who is upset, 
a God who wants to bring down wrath, a God who, what, whatever you want to say about him in the Old Testament. And what I've been hearing over and over again, and maybe it's just my hearing, but what I've been hearing is it's so refreshing to see how faithful God was in spite of how unfaithful those people were. Little clue. It's happening today. God doesn't need us to be faithful for him to be faithful. He's still faithful. We must praise the character of God. We should think about praising God, not only for what we have received from God, but also simply for who he is. We have life, we have hope, we have confidence simply because of God's character. Do you know why God has increased the strength of the soul, according to this psalmist, and answered when you called on him? Because that's who he is. <laughs> that's his core. That's what he does. And yet, as I started this sermon this morning, don't we get wrapped up in the other things? The traps. I mean, at least I do. I sometimes forget. Sometimes on purpose and sometimes not on purpose, the character of God. I sometimes watch, I don't do this often anymore, but I watch the news. And I find my, my, my mind and my heart getting moved in ways that are not healthy. And why is that? Because I have forgotten the character of God. Who's still calling the shots. He's not somehow silenced. People think they silenced him. He's not upset. He's not chewing his fingernails. Saying, no, I don't know what I'm going to do. And that leads us to priority of praise number three. Call for people to give thanks. Here's what it says. All the kings of the earth shall give thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of the mouth of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Now here's what the psalmist is doing. He's turning it from the regular, ordinary Joe, that's you and I, to the kings and to the rulers of the earth to give thanks to the Lord. The text can be read one of two ways. One way to read the Hebrew text is the psalmist is saying that the kings of the earth will one day give thanks to the Lord, which is possible since we know that every knee will bow before the Lord, according to Philippians chapter 2, verse 16. The other way to read the Hebrew text is that the psalmist is calling on the kings of the earth to give thanks to the Lord. I believe verse 6 informs us to read this as a call for all people, even the kings of the earth, to give thanks. They need to hear the decrees of the Lord and give thanks. They need to sing about the greatness of the Lord. Notice they even why even the kings of the earth must do this in verse 6. The reason why is because even though, even though the Lord is high and exalted, he looks kindly upon the lowly. Here's what it's all saying. I'll put it into 2021 language. Humility is everything. If you're a leader and you think you're all that, it's clear on the screen. What does he say about the haughty people? He sees them from afar. 
powerful. If you think you got it all together and you're clicking just straightforward and you don't need or care to give praise to God for what he's given to you, he sees you from afar. It's part of that loving discipline. Humility is not something that he plays around with. Pride is not something that he plays around with. Excuse me. Humility is something he wants. It's powerful. Can I just say it's how sad it is when rulers won't give thanks to the Lord? Because they refuse to see that the reason they rule is because God has given them the position to do so. Like, I get it. We live in a country where you vote people in. You don't think God's big enough and strong enough to control that vote? Because if you don't, then you have an issue with the character and the perfection of God. you to think about how amazing this is. That God is near the lowly, the humble, the humility people, but the arrogant are kept afar. Even though the glory of the Lord is very great, this does not mean that he keeps his distance from the humble. No, he distances himself from the proud but not the humble. Because why? Because the humble will admit that I, I don't even breathe today, Lord, without you. I am only getting to experience another day with my family, another day with my church family, because God chose for me to be here. It's that drastic, friends. We should praise the Lord and give thanks because God has come near to us. Priority of praise number four, here it is. Give thanks for our lives. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you persevere my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. Even in the midst of troubles we face and the sins we commit, God has preserved our lives. God has delivered us. God has given us success against our enemies. God's unfailing love is always there for us. We are able to walk confidently into the future because the Lord will remain with us Till the very end, whether that end is his return or that end is the end of our lives on earth. God is for us. Sometimes we do not think of it life in this way. Sometimes we fail to realize the reason we live is by the power and the word of God. Nothing is outside of God's control. No one is outside of God's control. I want you to do something this Thursday that you may not do ever again. And I hope it doesn't, I hope that you do do it more often, but I want you to sit back and I just, I mean, before you eat the turkey, cause this will, that'll just lead to a nap. But, um, I want you to sit back and I, you know, me and my kids, we do this thing that, that, uh, it's, it's become a tradition. Michelle's cooking. So I take the kids and we go for a walk down to the river every Thanksgiving day. And so I might do this during this walk of Thanksgiving. I, I just want you to sit back and I want you to think how many times has God protected my life? How many times has he been there and I may not have realized it. I just, I just want you to sit back and just take 10 minutes, tops.
You know, I, I, I did that this week. I, I, I sat in my office for about 10 minutes and just tried to think about times when... And you, you know this. I thought about June 1st. You may not know the date. I thought about June 1st when I laid on a operating table. I had no control of what was going to happen. I thought about my wife being out in a waiting room until 11 o'clock at night or later. Not sure what was going to happen. I thought of God's mighty hand resting on our family and allowing me to hear the words of the man who took out the, the breathing tube the next morning. I thought about the, I can see it like it was yesterday. I thought about the, the time when he woke me up and he said, it's Wednesday morning and I remember my eyes getting really big like, wait a second, I was supposed to be woken up on Tuesday night. What, what do you mean it's Wednesday morning? remember him telling me your wife was here with you all night and, and, and we had some problems after surgery and, and I remember just saying to the Lord, thank you. Thank you that I'm hearing this guy's voice. And I don't know medical te te terminology. It may not have been that bad. But it seemed bad. How about you? How has he protected you through the years? You see, we act like we have control over our lives. We act like we're the ones that have the power over our lives, but we simply do not have such power or control. We don't. I remember that eerie feeling, and, and you know, you have your own stories, but I remember that eerie feeling of going in and laying down on that <laughs> operating table, and the last thing they said was, they found this, this was my, my, my wedding ring, they, they, they found it laying on me because I, I, I wanted to get one last text off to Michelle saying, they're taking me in, and I, I love you, and I want you to know that, and you know, because... Again, I wasn't sure of how this was all going to go. And so when I did, apparently my wedding ring, which is like one of those rubberized ones because I lost so much weight, is got stuck on my phone and then fell on my stomach. And so the, I just remember the guy who was giving me the anesthesiology, the anesthesiologist says to me, what's this? And he puts it in front of my face and I go, that's my wedding ring. And then... I was out. No control. I couldn't tell Dr. Um, yeah, the surgeon, Dowling, what to do. Don't cut there, cut there, like I would do that anyway. But it gave me that thought that you know, Brett, you really don't have control over even little things. And neither do you. We're kind of just, it's up to him. And that leads me to priority praise number five. And here's what it is. Give thanks because God accomplishes his goals, purposes in us. Here's what verse 8 says. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. God is going to do his will. God has always, will always accomplish his purpose for you. God is going to accomplish his purposes in us and through us. We are part of God's plans. Our prayers to the Lord is for him to make us a servant. Make me the work of your hands. 
We must be grateful for this. God is changing us so that we can be useful servants for him. Every day. If you can picture God with a chisel, and, I, and I've shown a video like this, but, but just picture God with a chisel and he's just kind of like, Got a little bit of hardness there. You better knock, we better knock that off. Got a little bit of pride there. We're going to knock that out. And what the psalmist is saying here is, is that your steadfast Lord, love, Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. And who is the work of his hands? Us. Don't forsake us. We are called to present ourselves to God as though we have been brought from death to life and to present our bodies as instruments of righteousness. I find the picture of 1 Peter chapter 2 so amazing. Listen to this. It'll be on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious... You yourselves, like living stones, are built up in a, as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Friends, I'm a stone with a terrible shape to it. That's not always useful for building anything. I have all kinds of rough edges and bad cuts because of sins, but God is cutting off those terrible edges and refining those rough spots so that I can be a living stone, and he's doing the same for you. Build up so that we can be a spiritual house that Jesus is building. This is what I believe the psalmist is proclaiming at the end of the psalm. Verse 8, your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the Lord uh, the work of your hands. Oh Lord, do not stop working in my life. Do not stop pounding at that stone. Do not stop molding me and cutting me and changing me. There's three things that are given to us in verse 8 that is on the screen. Our confidence is that the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. The reason we have that confidence is because God's faithful love endures forever and he's been he's been doing it since day one and therefore i cry to the lord in prayer based on this confidence do not abandon the work of your hands he is shaping you and using you in powerful ways and here's what we need to do there's always a takeaway and here's the takeaway we need to ask him to please do not stop Don't stop pounding. Even though it hurts. Don't stop building. Even though it hurts. Because you see what the ultimate goal is? Is that we would all be a priesthood of believers. You know what that means, right? I mean, in the New Testament, what that's saying is, is that it's not about who's standing here. It's not about people with REV in front of their name or pastor in front of their name. It's not about that. It's about us coming together as a team and doing the work. Some of us laying stone. Some of us putting the cement down so that the stone will stick. Some of us doing different parts of the ministry. Some of us doing these parts and some of us doing that part. And coming together to build the house. And so what the psalmist is saying to this group of people is, praise the Lord that he's still doing a work. We have so many reasons to be thankful. I listed many of mine on the back of your sermon outline. I listed like 13 of them. I hope that we are heartbroken when we have a hard time coming up with reasons to give praise and bless the Lord. Look beyond all the rich physical blessings we have received. Look beyond the pleasures of life and think about how much God has done for each of us since that first day. That first day when I was five years old at 1983-ish. And I sat on a sliding board that is long gone, probably in some pile, rusted through. 
And all I knew was because of Teresa Kramer's, um, Teresa Kramer being the kindergarten teacher at our church in Dover, Pennsylvania, an EC church in Dover, Pennsylvania, all I knew was this. I knew this. I did not want to die without Jesus because those people who die without Jesus, they go to a place that's not so nice. I didn't know any theology. I didn't know what soteriology was, pneumatology. I didn't know anything. All I knew was is that Jesus Christ loved me as a five-year-old and he wanted me to respond to the gospel message. And I sat on that, that warped sliding board. And the coolest thing was is that you could see the steeple of the church that we went to from that sliding board. And I prayed the best I knew how. Now here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you that I got up from that sliding board and I lived a perfect Christian life the rest of my life. That would be a lie. There's been many twisting and turning through life. Even as a pastor, I've made some very unwise decisions. And yet, here's what I'm here to tell you, and this is what someone told me many, many years ago. You will be able to stand in front of people someday and say, I'm here to tell you that no matter how hard you've messed up, how hard you've turned left when he said turn right, no matter how hard you turned right when he said turn left, no matter how hard you screwed your life up or you think you screwed your life up, I'm here to tell you he will be faithful at the end of the day. And his love has not changed for you one iota. Not at all. He doesn't wish that his son would crawl off the cross for you. You know, you actually think that sometimes. Like, I, I, bet, you, I bet you when God thinks about my sin, sometimes he wishes he could pull Jesus off the cross for just me. No, there's none of those wishes. He is doing something in you, and the Bible says that he will continue to do that work in you until it is complete. And what that means by until it is complete is either by the time he returns, it is complete, or by the time you go to heaven and live with him perfectly, it is complete. Either way, it will be completed. And so I leave you with this question this morning. What are you focused on? What are you focused on? The messiness of life or the goodness and order of God? That's what the psalmist is calling us to in Psalm 138. What he's saying here, if you boil it all down, according to people who are a whole lot smarter than I am, if you boil it all down, what he's asking us to do is this. You can either focus on the mess that you're coming out of, the mess you're about to enter, the mess that you're in right now, or you can focus on the goodness of God and how faithful he is in spite of the mess. You have that choice. We are not puppets on a string that say, okay, well, God wants us to worship this way and focus on this, so we're going to focus on this perfectly. No, he gives us free will. He gives us choice. And he says, if you want to spend your life focusing on the crud that's hitting the fan in our world, if you want to spend your life focusing on the stuff of life and about money and about riches and about all of that, you go right ahead and do that. But your thankfulness meter will suffer. However, if you want to focus on what God has done, how God has moved. How even when you were at the, the poorest of poor, he was still good. He was still good.
can I tell you something? That this is what this sermon has done in my heart. Even if I wasn't here to preach this sermon, God would have still been good. You understand what I'm saying? If June 2nd would have went different, God still would have been good. It may not have felt good for Michelle Kendig. It may not have felt good for some of you. But his goodness doesn't change. That's what the psalmist is asking us to focus on. is just to say God is good. God is powerful. His character doesn't give up on us. It's impossible for him to do that. His grace is, is always flowing at the same amount of level. So, so like, like this is what I, 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 sometimes I have a hard time grasping it, you know. So whether I do my devotions in the morning or I don't do my devotions in the morning, his grace is like, if it's like a faucet that's running water, he doesn't turn it down a little bit when we don't do devotions. Does he want us to do devotions? Absolutely. But you understand, it's not like, it's not like, you know, well, um, you know, like we do to our kids sometimes, we say, well, you're going to make a choice. And if you make the right choice, then this is how it will end. If you make the wrong choice, this is how it will end. God doesn't play those games. God says, here's your grace. Here's the amount of grace you get every morning. Here's the amount of grace and mercy you get every morning. And this is the amount you will get. You do understand grace is like the, uh, the manna that, that the Israelites received. Do you see them collecting big boxes of manna after they're done? No, they had enough for every day and that was it. That's why Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow's struggles. You're living in today. I give you enough grace for Sunday, November 21st. November 22nd, what does Lamentations chapter 3 say? They start over again. And you have enough for Monday. Tuesday, they start over again. And you have enough for, don't worry about what's happening on Wednesday. That's the God that we praise. And so this Thanksgiving week, if I can challenge you to do anything, is just think over your spiritual life. I know it's easy to say, thank you, Lord, for getting me through heart surgery. Thank you, Lord, for doing this. Thank you, Lord, for doing this. But think about your spiritual life this week. Thank you, Lord, for taking my soul and pulling it out of the muck and the myrrh it was stuck in and putting it on the solid rock. Thank you, Lord. That's what the psalmist is doing. And many believe the psalmist is doing that because he's thinking, he's saying to himself, these people don't have much to be thankful for. They just went through a tough time. Some of them lost their income. Some of them lost their homes. And so for them to look at their house and say, I'm thankful for a house, they don't have one to be thankful for. And so the psalmist here in Psalm 138 is saying, listen, let's focus on what Christ and what God has done in our hearts and lives this Thanksgiving. And so now you know why I chose this today. Some of you, due to COVID, have lost a lot. Some of you are making up time at your work. And you're so stressed that, you know, you're not even sure work is a praise right now. Would you focus on God and his character, his goodness, his love? His peace. That's what Psalm 138 is calling us to. Let's pray together. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. 
Thank you for this reminder. Written at a time in Israel's history when destruction was, was big. Written at a time in Israel's history when they weren't sure where to even be thankful. But you wrote this to challenge us. And yet, Lord, it fits. This is the beautiful thing about the word of God. It fits today. It fits right where we're sitting. We're not sure we can even give thanks for some of the things that have happened to us over these past year. But boy, we can give thanks for a God who stood by our side. Who remained faithful when we were even, let's be honest, faithless. Who showed us grace in times when we shouldn't have gotten grace. Who showed us love when anger should have been what we got. Help us, Lord. Help us to give you praise this Thanksgiving. It's all well and good to give praise for physical things. But I really want our body this, 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 this week. I want our body of Christ right here at Faith Church to focus on what you have given to us spiritually. The rich heritage. Thank you, Lord. I, I, I just want to say thank you, Lord, for parents who loved you. I want to thank you for raising me in a house where church wasn't an option. Much to my chagrin as a teenager. But thank you, Lord, for the ways you showed yourself faithful. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to see those ways in our lives that you have remained faithful in spite of what we've done. And we'll be careful to give you the honor, the glory, and the praise for what you do. For it's in your name we pray this all. Amen. Let's stand and sing a song about the love of God for us as we give. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 